Another great show on tap for you today. In our second hour, we'll speak with UCLA sociology professor and author Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter about his provocative new text, Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. I know there's some who think that's uh, oxymoronic, that you can engage in radical reparations and yet heal the soul of this nation. That's his book. We'll talk about it with Marcus Anthony Hunter today in our second hour. In our third hour, Donnell Rawlings joins us to talk about his first stand-up comedy special, A New Day, on Netflix, produced by his longtime friend, some guy named Dave Chappelle. This is one of four specials Dave is producing for Netflix. As you'll recall, uh, we've had uh, the other two persons on already whose specials Dave produced. That would be Earthquake and Lunell. Now up. Donnell Rawlings, Dave Chappelle is doing it big on Netflix for all his friends. And so we'll talk to Donnell Rawlings today about his stand-up special. Get some laughs on in our third and final hour. But let's commence today's show talking politics with the Amy Goodman. (laughs) I am so honored, uh, as always, to be in dialogue with Amy Goodman. Uh, She is celebrating now, get this, her 28th anniversary this month, 28 years as host of one of my favorite programs, Democracy Now. Amy Goodman, congratulations. Good to have you on this program. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Tavis. And hello to all your listeners, and congratulations to you on KVLA. No, thank you. It's a delight uh, to be uh, in this space uh, with you as we try to do our part um, to to bring to the national audience uh, more progressive radio. Um, You know this better than anybody. Uh, I call talk radio in this country a conservative citadel, and yet there are there are a handful of voices that have broken through, and nobody's done it quite like you, and you've done it independently. The media, as you well know, is corporatist, no question about that. Only two or three companies pretty much own everything these days. But for 28 years, you've come up, as we say in the black church, the rough side of the mountain. You've cut against the grain for 28 years, and everybody knows Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! How have you done it so successfully for 28 years? Well, first of all, I work with an amazing team of people. And, uh, you know, we come out of the Pacifica Radio Network, so we're a separate organization. Mm. And that was founded... 75 years ago um, in the Bay Area, a war resistor named Lou Hill came out of the detention camps after World War II and said there's got to be a media outlet, not run by corporations of profit from war, but run by journalists and artists. And so that was the beginning of Pacifica. In Bay Area, in Los Angeles, in New York, WBAI, Washington, and KPFT in Houston went on the air in 1970. Um, it wasn't weeks before the Ku Klux Klan strapped dynamite to the base of the transmitter in Houston and blew KPFT's transmitter off the air. Wow. They got back on the air a few weeks later, and then the Klan strapped 15 times the dynamite to the base of the transmitter and blew it up again right in the middle of Arlo Guthrie singing Alice's Restaurant, which I thought was a good song. But anyway, <laughs> um, it then took them months to get back on the air. And in 1971, January, Arlo went back to Houston to finish his song, and then the media was covering it, and KPFT went back on the air. I can't remember if it was the Grand Dragon or the Exalted Cyclops, because I often confuse their titles. <laughs> but he said it was his proudest act. And I think that's because he understood how dangerous independent media can be. Mm. Dangerous because it allows people to speak for themselves. 
And when you hear someone speaking from their own experience, whether it's a Palestinian child or an Israeli grandmother or an uncle in the South Bronx or an aunt in Iraq, you say, oh, my gosh, that sounds like my aunt. That sounds like my uncle. And you might not even like your uncle, but Mm -hmm. it might makes it much less likely for you to want to destroy that person. And I really do think that that is the beginning of peace. That understanding is the beginning of peace, and I think the media can be the greatest force for peace on Earth. Instead, all too often, it's wielded as a weapon of war. Uh, It's called uh, Democracy Now!, the War and Peace Report, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, Nobody has done it better than Amy Goodman for 28 years now, celebrating that uh, milestone this month as she takes off on another year. Uh, And, uh, of course, uh, it's presidential election season, so there's a whole lot uh, of news, political news and beyond, to talk about with Amy Goodman in this first hour. Uh, Tomorrow's the primary in Michigan. Um, Just a lot of news. Um, A big article in the New York Times today about Joe Biden doing a 180 on immigration. Uh, Another story I read today about um, a a divided White House. There are those inside the White House, not outside, inside, on the president's team. There's a divide about his own age and uh, his uh, his policy on Israel. Huge divide inside the Biden White House, we are told. And another major story, um, Congress uh, failed to pass legislation to avoid a a shutdown come Friday. Uh, Oh, Lord, I'm just getting started. A whole lot to talk about with Amy Goodman this hour. And who knew that backstory? I've known Amy for years, and I didn't know the backstory. You know independent media must be dangerous when the Klan blows up your tower not once but twice. It's going to be fire for the hour with Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Come on! Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Back to more of Amy Goodman right now, who I am celebrating uh, in this hour uh, as uh, she now embarks on year 28 as the host of Democracy Now. You know, Amy, that 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 title is a, certainly a double, maybe triple, quadruple entendre. When you used the phrase, um, when you came up with that phrase, Democracy Now, wh- how did you intend for us to, to parse that? I mean, I think it is a demand, and I think it is the the that media is the most important agent uh, or the most important force for democracy now, Mm -hmm. to have a free and open media. And that's what we have to fight for every day, which actually makes me think of another news story, um, which is Julian Assange. And folks may not hear very much about him in the U.S. media, Mm -hmm. But this is a guy who's been imprisoned for years in the notorious Belmarsh Maximum Security Prison in Britain. Um, He was uh, founder of WikiLeaks, which released so much information about Iraq and Afghanistan, State Department logs going back decades. Not a favorite of any government, Republican Mm -hmm. or Democrat, because, you know, he's actually doing what journalists do. I mean, you think of Evan Gershkovich in uh, Russia. What was he doing? He was arrested by uh, Putin's men when he was going after military secrets, because that's what the best journalists all over the world do. You think of Cy Hirsch exposing the My Lai Massacre. Mm -hmm. Um, Governments don't like this, but that's our role as journalists, is to go to where the silence is. 
So you have Julian Assange. He is arrested by the British government, not for something he did in Britain, but because the U.S. wants to extradite him to the United States, where he would be tried and if found guilty. He faces 175 years in prison. Uh, two weeks ago, the Australian government, he's Australian, the parliament, mm-hmm. um, passed a resolution across the political spectrum. Nothing united them, and they're divided like they are in the United States, uh, like Julian Assange, saying, you must free this man. He has spent years behind bars, at least four years in Belmarsh, and before that, Ecuador granted him political asylum, but he could only make it as far in London to the Ecuadorian embassy, where he lived for like seven years. I interviewed him a number of times. You're cramped up in this tiny embassy. So he has been uh, basically in detention for well over a decade. But it's not about Julian. Mm -hmm. It is about a free press. And we have covered this story for years and President Biden, when he was vice president, called him a high-tech terrorist because he released documents. Now, what's an example of those documents? You know, video and paper. In 2007, a group of men in Iraq, Iraqis, were walking, and a U.S. Apache helicopter flew overhead, an area in Baghdad called New Baghdad. And they weren't rogue, these soldiers in the helicopter. Um, And we know all this because there was... uh, There was video in the helicopter, not a peace activist on the ground. And you hear the men cursing and screaming. These are these soldiers uh, cursing and um, laughing. And they call back to base. Can we engage? And they open fire in this group of men below. They kill them. One of them is hobbling, crawling away, has been hit. And a van pulls up a dad with his two kids going to school. He tries to help the men, and they blow up the van. Um, And... Two of those men worked for Reuters, Namir Noor Eldin, an up-and-coming 22-year-old videographer, and his driver, uh, um, Saeed Shema, father of four, 40 years old. They were killed. Reuters asked repeatedly from the U.S. military, we want to see, we know you have a video. They wouldn't release it. Ultimately, Julian Assange of WikiLeaks released it, and it was under the title Collateral Murder. Mm -hmm. It was basically showing a war crime. They released it in 2010. And this is, of course, what the U.S. government doesn't want you to see, just like they didn't want people to know about the Milai Massacre, where U.S. soldiers opened fire and killed hundreds of Vietnamese men, women, children, and infants. But it's our job as journalists. We're supposed to hold those in power accountable so that acts like these won't get repeated. And that's exactly what WikiLeaks did over and over again. So Australia is asking for them to drop the charges. There was just a hearing last week in the high court in Britain, and we'll see what happens. Mm. Um, As I listen to you tell that story, uh, I am reminded, uh, and I kind of intimated this earlier, that we live in a country um, where there are really just a few sources now that control most of all the media, the corporate media that we uh, read, watch, listen to. The social, the, the internet is a whole another issue. But 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 what's the price to your mind? Uh, what is the price that we pay for having media that is so entrenched uh, in corporate America? I mean. It is a threat to democracy. It's as simple as that. It's not only corporations, it's the government. You know, I covered Haiti for a lot of years, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that would happen when a coup would begin in Haiti was the coosters 
the thugs would go after um, the radio stations where um, they said they played music engagé, engaged music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are there not only to inform, um, because I think of so much of the corporate media that's got those pundits on who know so little about so much <laughs> explaining the world to us and getting it so wrong, mm-hmm. but to provide a platform for people to speak for themselves. That Primarily, when you listen to someone, um, you it changes you, and that's what we have to do to, is to provide a forum for. Well, I see the media as a huge kitchen table that stretches across the globe that we all sit around and debate and discuss the most important issues of the day: war and peace, life and death. And anything less than that is a disservice to a democratic society. Yeah. Uh, let, let me ask you a question. You and I have been friends for, for, for many years now, and I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, I know I haven't. I've never asked you this question, so brace yourself. Uh, I, I want to ask <laughs> you now. Um, tell me why it is. Is it by choice or is it by chance that we don't see your face, that we don't hear your voice more in that corporate media. I'm talking now, why don't I see Amy Goodman on Meet the Press and Face the Nation? Why don't I see you on CNN? Why don't I see you on MSNBC? Why don't I see you on Fox? I mean, all of these outlets, um, we see, to your point, these talking heads, these pundits all the time. Nobody in this country has a larger following in independent media than you do. You're on television and radio all day, every day, somewhere in this country. And yet for all that you represent and for all the stories that you break and for all the stories that you cover that corporate media doesn't cover, one would think, I'm not naive here, one would think that by bringing Amy Goodman on, you're going to get a different take, a different perspective because of what you do so well with your team every day. So is it by choice or by chance that we don't see and hear more of you (laughs) in the corporate media? <laughs> well, uh, Tavis, I'm not a retired general. I'm not a <laughs> colonel. Um, but I am trying to bring people a kernel of truth and bring people a different kind of general news. But I even want to say for that, mm-hmm. I mean, we interview plenty of military folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the media, when you have a general who is dragging their feet on war or a colonel, who is saying, we really got to question what's happening. You rarely see them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what happens in the corporate media is you have this strict divide. Um, are you representing the Democrats or are you representing mm-hmm. the Republicans? And when we see things in a very different way, like you do too, that changes the whole picture. They can't neatly peg you mm-hmm. and say you're going to be on this side or that. And yeah. I say it's on the side of democracy, Mm -hmm. and answers are not that simple. And, um, you know, what I'm happy about is I found at the beginning of my career um, what journalists look for their whole lives, and that is independence. And Mm -hmm. that's what's so important. You know, actually, just as we hit our 28th anniversary on February 19th, I didn't say it on February 19th because we were too busy with the news, (laughs) but I said it with Juan Gonzalez, who's been doing it for 28 years, and that's also a great honor. Um, We talked about that, and we also that day passed the 2 million subscriber mark on YouTube. Mm. And so people are accessing democracy now all over the world. Yeah. No, it's it's an amazing journey. And for those of us who are in the independent lane with you, um, trust and believe. I know this is not a cakewalk. It is not easy. Um, it's a challenge every single day for funding uh, and for access and for opportunity. 
it is not easy. But again, I celebrate Amy Goodman on this program and in this hour as we're heard across the country because nobody has done it quite like Amy uh, has done it and does it every single day, bringing us a different perspective that we don't hear uh, elsewhere. Let me, let me, I'm watching my clock here. Let me move now and cover some topics, um, some political trending topics that I want to get your take on. I don't need to color these things too much for you. I'll just throw them at you. So tomorrow is the Michigan primary. What say you about that? We're all watching it. We all have been covering the story, of course, uh, a variety of stories about um, the Arab American community and Rashida Tlaib and those who told Biden don't even think about coming here. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here about Michigan as a primary state. Uh, wow. Joe Biden only won it by three points over Trump a few years ago. Uh, he may be in trouble in Michigan. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's really important. Michigan is a battleground state. And you have a group of Arab American leaders in Michigan who are saying for this primary, I think it's over 50 now, like the mayor of Dearborn, Michigan, which has... Um, one of the highest populations of Arab Americans in the country. Um, Mayor Hamoud is saying they are voting uncommitted for the primary. Mm -hmm. This is very serious. It's like, remember when I think it was Nevada where Nikki Haley lost yeah. to none of the above? That's right. Um, if, if Biden is challenged by uncommitted, that's a very big problem for him. I mean, overall, obviously, he's not really challenged in Michigan. But clearly, the Biden administration is concerned about this because they've been sending people out <clears throat> to court the Arab-American community. And what these Arab-American leaders are saying, first, I think they sent out Julie Chavez-Rodriguez, who is his campaign manager, and many said they wouldn't meet with her because they didn't want to meet with the campaign manager they wanted to talk policy mm -hmm. because they're deeply concerned about what's happening in Israel and Gaza. I mean, we are talking about nearly and probably far more than 30,000 people dead in Gaza. Um, it is horrifying. Today reported on a two-month-old baby boy, two-month-old baby boy who starved to death in Gaza. The level of hunger now, uh, we talked to the award-winning poet, uh, Mossab Abu Toha. Um, he writes for the New Yorker magazine today, mm -hmm. and he, he and his family made it out, and after he was detained, by the way, by the Israeli military, they made it out to Cairo. But his brother, his sister-in-law, who just had a baby in Gaza, they didn't make it out, and they're eating animal feed. Um, and, you know, every international, many international agencies, especially the United Nations, the World Food Program had to stop, um, had to pull out. You have UNRWA, that is the major source of support, supporting hospitals, health care in Gaza, under siege. And Biden pulled the funding for UNRWA that serves thousands of Palestinians. They are facing massive starvation, let alone the daily assaults. And this is directly tied to the Arab American community in Dearborn. I think of Dr. Tarek Haddad. Um, this is a cardiologist who just spilled his heart on democracy now. He lives in Virginia. He was invited by Secretary of State Tony Blinken to a roundtable discussion. And he said he lost one hundred members of his family in Gaza. And he refused to meet with Blinken. He said, we are not campaign fodder. Mm. We need a ceasefire in Gaza. We need peace. I think of uh, 
an amazing guy who just died, 93 years old, Johann Galtung, considered the father of peace studies in the world. He's from Norway. Um, And what a ceasefire would mean. It would mean saving the lives of thousands of people, like Johns Hopkins just did a study and said if there was a ceasefire today, at least immediately, 75,000 over time, people's lives would be saved. Uh, This is terrifying what's happening in the Arab American community right now is most sensitive to it. But I also have to say the Jewish community. I mean, you have Jewish voice for peace. I was covering the Grand Central terminal demonstration in New York. Mm -hmm. Thousand Jewish Americans led by Holocaust survivors, professors, students, 400 of them got arrested saying, not in my name, ceasefire now. Mm. Michigan matters tomorrow. Biden understands that. And Tavis, you just said yes. There is a major battle going on within the Biden administration. You had a group of top folks from the Biden administration after um, the Arab American leaders refused to meet with the campaign manager. John Feiner, I think he's the deputy national security advisor. Samantha Powers, you know, she's now head of USAID. Mm -hmm. Top officials went out and had a private meeting with Arab American leaders who would meet with them. And the New York Times got a hold of a recording of the meeting, and you had John Feiner saying, we have made serious mm. mistakes. Let me, let me, let they me. talked about the statements. Yeah. Let, 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 me, no, let, me, let me pause for a second there. I'm just watching this clock here. When we come forward, I want to come right back to this issue because this is significant. Um, Amy's unpacking it brilliantly and beautifully, as she always does every day on her own program, Democracy Now!, now celebrating 28 years. But this is a major piece today in the New York Times. If you haven't had a chance to pull it yet, pull it for yourself, read it for yourself. But there is a divide in the White House, we are told, among the president's team, uh, amongst his team, about two issues. One, about his Israel policy and about his age. I mean, so we in the media, corporate or independent, talk about these issues every day. The president's age and his policy in Israel. Uh, And it's one thing for us to talk about on the outside. But inside the White House, there is a divide amongst his own team on these issues. We'll unpack that a bit more uh, and cover a few other topics when we come forward with our guest in this hour, the host for 28 years now, Democracy Now!, the War and Peace Report, Amy Goodman, who's on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. I'm rooting for Amy Goodman, uh, although she doesn't need my cheerleading. She's done quite well for 28 years uh, as the host of Democracy Now!, the War and Peace Report, and how uh, thrilled am I uh, to once again in uh, the course of my career, uh, broadcast career, to be in dialogue on my stage, my program with Amy Goodman, and uh, what a conversation has been so far. And I want to continue uh, and make the most of uh, the time I have left between now and the top of the hour. So, Amy, we were talking about about the, about the White House, um, and I, I just want to just get get a little deeper into this. As I said a moment ago, um, it's one thing for us in the media, corporate or independent media, to be talking about these issues every day. But when these stories break uh, about uh, the divide that is in the White House, of course, publicly they want to put on a united front. But now we know, courtesy to a uh, courtesy of a number of sources, and indeed another big story today in the New York Times, we now know that there's a divide inside the Biden White House. And again, every administration doesn't have to be in lockstep. That's why you have these private 
private meetings behind closed doors. They argue, they fight, they come to conclusions, they come to decisions. So it, it's it's politics. I get it. And everybody has a, a chance to express themselves in these meetings in the White House. And I've been in a few of them over the course of my career. But when we read these kinds of stories, that they are divided about his age and whether you should stay in the race, they're divided inside the Biden White House about his Israel policy. Uh, on the outside, how do you read the division on the inside? I mean, it's really interesting on the inside. I think of Josh Paul. He was a top-level guy in the State Department uh, in charge of military procurement or sales. And when uh, after the Israeli assault on Gaza began, he just could not countenance it anymore. And he quit, and he issued a public letter. We've spoken to him a number of times. I think about the thousand uh, black pastors from across the Mm -hmm, country saying mm -hmm. they haven't seen anything like this among their congregants since the civil rights movement. The level of rage about where the Biden administration is standing. I mean, you have in the last week, once again, for the third time, uh, the Biden administration vetoed a U.N. Security Council resolution for a ceasefire. Um, We had on Bishop William Barber, um, Mm -hmm. who uh, said all moral leaders needed to say no to what Hamas did to children and women and no, no, no to what Israel, the Israeli government and Netanyahu is now continuing to do. You know, he wrote this article and he said, I wrote about Hamas. I also challenged the apartheid state that the Netanyahu regime uh, has had in Israel. We said we must speak as one voice, Christians, Muslims, and Jews, to say the indiscriminate killing of women and children in this war is immoral. And, you know, youth, the divide among youth is, it's like, he, Biden had 80% of the youth, has 20% of the youth. And as we were talking about, the Arab American community was up to 60%, now down to 17%. And the people in the White House represent all of these groups. Mm-hmm. And they understand and they're feeling the outcry um, around this policy and asking, you know, Joe Biden, why? It's not as if Joe Biden has championed or embraced Netanyahu for decades. It's not as if, like Trump, they were best of friends. So why they're asking, Mm. is he continuing, even though he will increasingly say, we're questioning, we're putting hard questions, Netanyahu, we're telling him not to build more settlements. But, you know, the proof is not in the talk, it's the walk, and it's the level of arms sales that they are using to kill Palestinians every day. Mm. And Jews more than anyone, I mean, I speak also as a Jewish journalist, Jews more than anyone know, you know, out of the Holocaust, we said never again. And that's never again for everyone. Yeah. Um, it's a it is a conundrum, um, for lack of a better word. And we will see um, what the president does or doesn't do in the coming days. Um, now that we are talking publicly about what's happening privately inside the White House uh, with regard to this divide. Let me cover a couple of things here. Um, let me move to this immigration issue. Again, a number of major pieces uh, I was reading today in preparation for my dialogue with you uh, about the president and immigration and the threat that it has become to his reelection bid. Trump has outflanked him on this issue. And by outflanked him, I mean that um, the immigration issue has gotten worse. Uh, Illegal immigration issue has gotten worse uh, in uh, his tenure, uh, in his term. And he now feels politically vulnerable on this issue. If you were Joe Biden on the immigration issue, what would you do? 
Um, well, I'm a journalist, and I hold those in power accountable, so uh, I'm not Joe Biden, but mm-hmm. I think what has horrified many immigration rights activists, uh, certainly that we have talked to, is that you had, you know, Trump divide, separating families, uh, putting incarcerating babies, and then people voted for President Biden. They said, you know, immigration rights activists for humane policy. And in order for Biden to get past the billions he wants to send to Ukraine and to Israel, um, the Republicans insisted on uh, militarizing the border even further. And so there were negotiations that went on in the Senate, Mm -hmm. and they agreed, the Democrats and the Republicans, to the horror of many immigrant rights activists, agreed on a much more militarized border. And then because Trump saw there was some level level of um, bipartisanship, he told House Speaker Johnson, whatever you do, do not accept this. And so it was a Republican plan that the Democrats embraced, and then Trump vetoed it. And so you have this crazy situation right now. And who are victimized? It's people who are seeking sanctuary in this country, why our country was founded. Um, And they are really at the target end of U.S. policy, Mm -hmm. whether it's Republican or Democrat. It's a very serious issue. We also just interviewed Darlene Joseph, who is head of the Haitian Bridge Alliance out of California. She was in Washington because you remember those famous pictures at Del Rio where we had the Border Patrol on the horseback meeting the Haitians uh, Mm -hmm. near the Del Rio Bridge. Sure. doing right now. And they're demanding to stop the deportations in a very dangerous situation and for what's happened to them at the border. I mean, we have to have a very serious bipartisan look at why people come to this country. And it comes from a good portion of it, U.S. foreign policy in places like Guatemala and Honduras, where many immigrants come from, because the U.S. has supported these regimes over the years that engaged in massacres and engaged in genocide, and people flee, and people also follow the money. And when the money is going to the United States, we allow the money to come in here. Trade with Mexico is enormous, right? Allow the money to come in. But when people follow their money, we bring down the, the gates. Yeah. Now, it's, um, it is uh, the president's in a pickle on this issue. Uh, in, in some regards of his own doing, uh, and to your brilliant analysis, in some regards because of the way Republicans have boxed him in. Um, but uh, he is clearly uh, vulnerable on this immigration issue and how he moves in the coming days. We shall see when we come forward with our guest, Amy Goodman, now celebrating 28 years as host of Democracy Now! The War and Peace Report, um, the, the Congress uh, failed. Uh, to pass legislation that would avoid, avert a government shutdown on Friday. So here we are once again. Every few months we kick this can down the road, and here we are all this week. Today's Monday, and so all week long this will be the story. Will the government shut down once again on Friday? We shall see, but we'll get Amy's take on that, and then we'll close our program in this hour, I should say, with uh, our conversation. Not our program. i still got two hours to go. We'll close this hour uh, with Amy Goodman talking about uh, a person that we both regard as a friend, a very, very dear friend of mine who is being memorialized this Friday. Indeed, over the weekend, uh, I received an award uh, named for him, a major award that bears his name. I was the recipient of uh, that award this weekend, and he is being memorialized this Friday. And I want to close our program in tribute to him 
We'll talk about him when we come forward with Amy Goodman on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. This Friday, we will memorialize our dear friend and brother, Harry Belafonte, who passed, as you know, some time ago. But a major memorial uh, in New York City this Friday at the Riverside Church. I've been there so many times. Uh, Probably not as many times as Amy Goodman, because she's based in New York City. Uh, I've spoken in that facility many times and attended many programs. Riverside is the place. And this Friday, we will memorialize our friend and brother, Harry Belafonte. We'll get to that in a moment. Before we close our hour with Amy talking about Harry Belafonte, Amy, your thoughts on uh, this notion, at least as we sit right now, that there could be another government shutdown on Friday? Well, first of all, it's wonderful to hear Harry's voice. Oh, my goodness, as he would have turned 97 on Friday. And I'm thrilled to hear you're going to be there because I'm going to be there, too. I'll get to see you, Tavis, <laughs> yes. at the Church, where Dr. King gave that oh, famous yes. address a year to the day before he was assassinated. You know about it. You wrote books about it. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's why he opposed the war in Vietnam. And Harry Belafonte, oh, I'll just say government closure, biggest problem for people, um, at the bottom, that's who always suffers, right? If you yeah. have a government, if you have government closure, you don't have the president, you don't have the House Speaker losing their jobs. But what happens is people get laid off, and it's a very serious issue. And it's about time people at the top and people in Congress understand what that means, even for people to live in fear. Mm. Um, leading up to that moment is unacceptable that they might not be yeah. able to feed their families. No, it's. But, it's, on the issue of Harry. Hold, wow. hold, that, thought, I mean, hold that thought. Hold that thought. One second. One second, Amy. Let me do. Let me do this one more time, and I promise we'll close uh, with your thoughts, I'm, which I'm anxious to hear. Um, uh, you spent some good time with Harry over the years, and so have I. And I want to just close our program in this hour, at least, uh, in tribute to Harry Belafonte. We'll do that with Amy Goodman when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. This Friday uh, would be Harry Belafonte's 97th birthday. And uh, there is a major memorial to him taking place in New York City at the Riverside Church on the Upper West Side. uh, Celebrating the life and legacy of Mr. B, as I called him for many decades. Amy Goodman, your thoughts about our friend Harry Belafonte. Amy, can you hear me? Amy, Amy. I hear you. There you go. Oh, my gosh. I mean, for people who don't know, you know, we're coming into the Oscars soon. Harry Belafonte's 1956 album, Calypso, made him the first artist in history to sell more than a million LPs. Won both a Tony and Emmy, awarded the National Medal of Arts. But it is his involvement with civil rights activism, his close friendship with Dr. King. I think he said he talked to him once. He met him every day. Mm -hmm. And I used to say to Harry, I used to say to Mr. B, if you ever forget any of those conversations, just apply under the Freedom of Information Act to the (laughs) FBI. I bet they have (laughs) transcripts. That's funny. It's funny because it's probably true. Uh, I'm sure they do have the transcripts. Um, what what do what do you make of his unwavering, uh, unapologetic um, uh, uh, advent into advocacy, into uh, engaging in the civil rights movement? There, at a time when many artists, and even today, and, and people have a right to self determination, there are artists who want 
to just be artists. They don't want to engage and involve themselves with the politics of the day. Um, I call it Mr. B a a a a. Um, a, a, a citizen artist. I always called him that. He was a citizen artist. And again, people have the right to self-determination, but he was so bold about it, Amy. You're right. Mr. B stands for bold and brave. Um, you know, he was friends with Paul Robeson, oh, Eleanor yes. Roosevelt, Sidney Poitier, Kennedy, uh, Marlon Brando, Nelson Mandela, Fidel Castro, Tony Bennett, Bill Clinton. <laughs> he ran the gamut. And everyone loved him and I think feared him because he was just unwavering because he lived it. He lived the discrimination, right? He would be invited into the greatest venues to sing, but not be allowed to stay there. That's so he right. knew it personally. But it wasn't just because it was personal. He felt the pain of people um, who suffered for so long. And he was not, you know, at the end of his life, he was going into prisons. He was working with people who were incarcerated. He, uh, every fiber of his soul was about being a humanitarian. Yeah. There's a great organization here in L.A. called Second Call and um, uh, run by a brilliant brother named, named Skip. Uh, and um, they have an annual event. And uh, at their event a few days ago, they bestowed upon me. I was humbled to receive the Harry Belafonte Award. Uh, Gina Belafonte, Mr. B's daughter, as you know, presented the award to me. So it's a great honor um, to receive anything that, that bears his name. And I can just uh, only hope and pray that in my lifetime we honor his legacy uh, by doing what you do every day. And that is uh, speaking truth to power and, for that matter, to the powerless. Uh, as you celebrate your 28th anniversary this month uh, hosting Democracy Now!, the War and Peace Report, what are you recommitting yourself to for the years to come, Amy Goodman? Uh, committing ourselves to being a platform for people who so often go unheard. You know, when we talk about the death penalty to go behind the bars that are behind the bars and hear from people on death row. Um, when we talk about uh, criminal justice or injustice to hear from people on both sides of the bars and to have a global platform to pe for people to speak to each other across the planet. It's to make the world smaller. Because we're all in this together. Yeah, we are in it together. And uh, we'll leave it there for now. I am always, as I said uh, an hour ago now, delighted to and be in dialogue. congratulations on your Harry Belafonte Award. Oh, oh no. God, you, are, you, are, you are too kind, Amy. I love you and I deeply appreciate you. Uh, congratulations on your 20th anniversary. I know there are many, many more Thank years you. of your great work in front of you. Give my best to Juan, and I'll see you soon, Amy. I all the will. best to you. Thank you. See you soon, Tavis. Amy Bye -bye. Goodman on Tavis Smiley. Two more great hours in front of us. Stay tuned.